This is Bach Talk. The Sanctus from the Mass in B minor by Johann Sebastian Bach. You're hearing the renowned Bach Society of St. Louis in concert, conducted by music director Dr. A. Dennis Sparger. Hello, I'm Ron Clem. Welcome to the first in our series of monthly conversations with the people who make music like this come alive. The Sanctus from Box B minor was the first piece Maestro Sparger conducted with the Bach Society back in 1986. He is the longest tenured conductor in the Bach Society's 80 plus year history. So today, appropriately as we begin this series, let's meet the Maestro. We sat down in the Sparger's beautiful bright breakfast room, enjoyed a cup of coffee and an extended chat. Full disclosure, Dennis and I have been friends for a very long time. But one fact that took us both by surprise when we first uncovered it, we were born and grew up less than 10 miles from each other in what was then the quiet southern suburbs of Chicago. That meant that we shared many of the same experiences. And so I started our conversation by asking him to describe life, as he remembered it, as a youngster in Harvey, Illinois. What I remember is that it was just a wonderful place for, for a child to grow up. Uh, we had such complete freedom in our area. You know, we could get on, on our bikes and just ride the complete town. Um, I, a couple of friends and I you know, might drive up into a forest preserve and uh, bring a little lunch with us. And there was no sense of fear that anything could happen to us. Our parents didn't worry. Uh, we didn't lock our doors. Car doors were left unlocked. Um, so it really was a quite wonderful place to grow up. My father was a steel worker. Yeah. You know, many people in the south side of Chicago were steel workers. And those were union jobs. Uh, thank goodness. Uh, you know, so they paid well enough that uh, a man was able to provide for his family and uh, and his wife was able to stay home and take care of the family. Uh, I'm not sure they all did that by choice, but that's kind of how it turned out for many. Um, you know, so I had a mother that was home taking care of us. At, um, we lived just uh, like a quarter of a block away from the grade school so so we could walk back and forth, come home for lunch. Uh, watch a little TV, <laughs> because that was brand new in those days, and then you'll know, go back for the second half of the school. Yeah. What do you remember uh, about your first contacts with music? How did you first get involved with music, or when did music begin to play a part of your life? Uh, from the beginning. <laughs> My mother was a singer, and uh, she and her sister had done some singing on the radio, uh, untrained. But you know, a strange thing I noticed later on in life after I had studied voice and gotten college degrees, and I would hear my mother sing when she was, you know, in her 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, and she did things correctly. You, you know, what does that mean? Well, the voice was free and open. It wasn't encumbered by tensions anywhere. Uh, she pronounced things well. 
Um, so she sang as if she had voice lessons, and she loved to sing and dance. <laughs> and and when I was a child, um, you know, I would hear my mother and sister, you know, washing dishes, drying, and uh, and singing in duets in harmony. So that was always a, a part of my background. And of course, uh, I sang in the church children's choir that my mother directed. Um, in fact, I think I have a photo somewhere of all of us little ones in our white robes and red bows. Uh, so that was a, a part of it all. Uh, in grade school, we didn't have much music other than the classroom teacher, you know, having us open up a, a songbook and we all would sing. And uh, so I think all of the children in, in each class had a chance to sing. When I was in eighth grade, we finally got a music teacher. But anyway, you know, that was that, you know, we singing at church. Uh, Sunday school class always began with all age levels in the same room, uh, singing, you know, like gospel songs and spirituals and, and hymns. Uh, so we got involved in singing through that way before we'd go to our individual classes for study. Who do you remember of those early days that, 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 uh, had a great impact on you that you still remember today. Well, probably my music teacher yeah. uh, made made the big biggest difference. By the time I was eight, mother decided she wanted a trained musician in the family, so it wasn't the, like I had a choice. It just you're going to learn to play music. Really? Yes. Yeah. Did Did she push you in any way? Did you feel Did you feel pressure in that sense? It's okay. No, no, in those days, you, you know, you, no. did, you did what your parents told you to do. Yes, you <laughs> That's sure no, did. There's no pressure. <laughs> you just did it. Uh, but uh, we were well enough off that we didn't have to worry about food or having a roof over our heads or, or having clothes, although, you know, we didn't buy the newest clothes at all. We, I, we had a few hand-me-downs. Uh, so we couldn't afford a piano in our house. But in South Chicago, the instrument of choice was the accordion. Why do you look at me when you say that? <laughs> Most people laugh uh, no. or make fun of, of people who play the accordion. Well, I, I can but, tell you a story because my twin sisters, ah. uh, who are a little younger than me, uh, were the the bee's knees uh, at, in Hammond, Indiana, when they oh, had yeah. to when they had to take accordion lessons, and everybody wanted a picture of these twins playing the accordion. Yeah. Now, did they go to Rumba Brothers? Uh, yes. 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 Wow. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, well, AJ Rumba was my teacher. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Now, now the beauty of the accordion for for the working class was that you sign up for six beginners lessons, right? And they and they loan you. Uh, you know, you don't rent. They loan you a small accordion uh, that doesn't have too many keys. And with all, all the buttons on the left side, there are only 12 buttons, two rows of six. So you're not going to get too lost in that amount of time. And at the end of six weeks, you've done well enough that you can turn that in. And then you rent a, a larger instrument that has like 48 buttons instead of 12 and a little bit longer keyboard. And then you start paying for your lessons and you start growing. And a, a few years later, you're ready to buy a used instrument that's a little bit bigger yet. And uh, after another couple of years, if you're doing really well, you're ready to buy a really fine instrument. So that's kind of how I progressed through it. Uh, but my teacher, Mr. Rumba, was very wise, uh, a Hungarian-trained musician. He, right. he and his other brothers, you know, moved to South Chicago and started this music school. Uh, 
he knew that my mother was the key to all of this, so he would assign me a piece that my mother wanted to hear and assign a piece that was good for my musical growth. So every day of the week, mother would sit with me and uh, listen to the piece that she wanted to hear and then suffer through the one <laughs> that I really had to practice. But this, this kept things motivated. Now, the downside of this was that every day after school, I'd have to come home and practice, you know, for half an hour, a, few, a year later, 45 minutes, a year later, an hour, eventually it was an hour and a half. So I didn't get to go play ball with all the kids after school. Oh, By the time that. I got there, you know, the game was ending. <laughs> so that was the sacrifice yeah. uh, that had to be done. We're talking to Myron Florin, uh, or I'm sorry, <laughs> to Dennis Barger. I'm Ron Clem, and this is Bach Talk. When did the accordion become ancillary to other things in, in your musical life? When, when did you put that away and start doing other things? Uh, well, uh, I must have been at least in the sixth grade by then that my teacher began uh, working on the harmonization of a melody. Uh, you know, so you could look at music that would have the melody only and chord symbols above. The chord symbols like C7, uh, B flat minor, uh, would tell you what to do with the left hand in finding from the various rows, like six rows of, God, I don't know how many, right. <laughs> tall, uh, to find that. And in the right hand, how to find the harmony uh, to fill out the melody. Maybe we should do a little bit of definition here a minute. The right hand we had a keyboard. It has on a it. keyboard. Had yes. a keyboard. Yeah. And so you'd play that um, on a on a vertical, vertical rather than horizontal. <laughs> right. yeah. but, but the left hand, those buttons were actually chords of different kinds. Well, they would play multiple notes at once. Right, right. The first two rows would be bass notes. Ah. And then as you go back to the next four rows, you would have a, a major chord, a minor chord, a dominant seventh chord, and a diminished chord. And all of these are different qualities of harmony. Uh, so you'd learn where all of that is, but then you also had to learn on the right hand, the keyboard hand, of how to fill in the harmonies to enrich in the sound of the melody. Mm. Um, and I think by the end of the sixth grade, you said, okay, it's time for you to play in a band. Oh, I didn't mention, there was an accordion band at the Rumba Music School. And this would be like 30 or 40 kids uh, all sitting in chairs with music stands, and we'd play our individual melodic notes. Uh, so we learned how to keep time uh, with a conductor <laughs> doing all of this. Uh, well, anyway, uh, at least by the seventh grade, he wanted me playing in a small band. So I assembled a few other uh, boys that were from our grade school where we could get together. So I had a tenor sax and a drummer, and we'd meet in our basement and practice. We'd buy these little books that would have the swing songs, uh, the kind of things that people dance to. By the time I was in high school, uh, I was picked up by a quartet that needed a fourth player, and almost every weekend we were playing uh, for a wedding reception or a teenage dance or an adult dance. Uh, so I started earning my way <laughs> through high school uh, already. Uh, by my second year in high school, I was invited to play in uh, a big band. Uh, our high school had a 13-piece 
dance band that played a a one and a half hour dance after every home football and basketball game. This is Thornton High School School in Harvey, Illinois. Right. Right. Yeah. And uh, we all were paid to do this. Wow. Now, $7 doesn't seem like a lot of money today. But I guess that would be like, you know, $70 or more in today's money. And uh, we were able to go out afterwards and have pizza and, and sodas, you know, w- with a girlfriend. And the next night, you could go to a movie and out for pizza. And we, d- we ate a lot of pizza. And, uh, of course, in Chicago, pizza well, was really good. Well, <laughs> Uh, so it really was a really nice opportunity. By the end of that first year, and of course, you know, playing an accordion with a big band, <laughs> a little weird. Uh, but, but by that time, I had a professional model accordion, and it could plug into an amplifier. This would plug into the school system to play through the entire gymnasium. Blow them out of the water with yes, that thing. Yeah. So the end of the end of, end of that second year, or my first year with the band, they said, you know, Denny, we're going to have a piano player next year. And I thought, I don't want to lose this job. So I told my dad, he said, okay, we'll get a piano. So we went out and found an old upright piano that someone didn't want, and we got it carried into the basement. And uh, he also bought a tuning hammer. <laughs> and he said, okay, now you've been taking lessons, tune the piano. <laughs> well, I tuned it to perfect fifths which meant in the key of C, it played very nicely. Oh, sure. But a lot of swing music is in B-flat or E-flat where it sounded terrible. So we eventually <laughs> had to get a real tuner to come in and do it. But I started taking a piano lessons next, and I had a, a wonderful teacher in Chicago Heights uh, who played in the orchestra at WGN. And in those days, you know, radio stations had an orchestra Absolutely. to play. Uh, believe it or not. They had live music because they didn't have tape. Yeah. It was all right, online. Yeah. Uh, so uh, these teachers in Chicago Heights were all wonderful teachers and players. Uh, so I, I got a pretty good start and realized that I could major in piano when I went to college. So now uh, let's talk about uh, the moving now from the accordion into the piano and um, eventually into moving into this direction that your mother had earmarked for you all the time <clears throat> into the profession of music. How did give us an idea of how that all transpired? Oh well, well, well as it turned out, I was ambidextrous. I could play the accordion and the piano. <laughs> Well, at the same time. When learning the accordion, you had the right hand down. The right hand was down. So, you know, the left hand had to to try to catch up, which it has never done, by the way. Uh, Well, in high school, you know, I sang in the high school choir. I played double bass in the high school orchestra. Uh, In my third and fourth years, I had a full year for credit of music theory, and the next year, a full year for credit of music history. Wow. So... You know, what a wonderful background. You're ahead of most. You know, in so many schools now, you don't get any music at all. No. No. Uh, Or or you're lucky if you can participate in one, but not in two. So, So, and wonderful teachers, and, you know, got a really good background. Now, no one in our family had gone to college. Um or hardly high school. Uh, you know, my father had to, to leave school in the eighth grade to work in the brickyards when his father uh, was injured and couldn't work anymore. Uh, my mother went to high school for three days, and because other 
kids laughed at her because she was wearing homemade clothes. She just couldn't take it anymore, so she dropped out and started getting into house cleaning to to get by. Uh, A few of the guys that I played with in in small bands, when they left high school, they were older than me, they went to Eastern Illinois University. So that's the only school I was aware of. So I thought, well, I guess that's where I'm going. Hmm. And, uh, And I thought I probably would wind up being a teacher, so I applied for a teacher's scholarship. And uh, in the early 60s, there was a, a great need for teachers, all kinds of teachers sure. uh, in Illinois. Uh, so the state government provided scholarships for anyone who was going to major in education. So I majored in music education, got a wonderful scholarship, and my tuition was like $60 a year. Today, we just complain about, oh, we need teachers. We don't do anything <laughs> to, to, to help it happen. Um but so that's how I wound up at Eastern. Uh, it was a very small school in those days. I think uh, the student population was about twelve hundred, and it's been well over ten thousand yeah. know, since. Um, in fact, when I was there, the library was so far south, no one went there. <laughs> <laughs> and now it's well north of center. Oh, wow. uh, but almost every teacher I had was a PhD. Hmm. Uh, it was like, you know, the Harvard of the Midwest, you know, all these wonderful faculty members that um, I, th- I think loved being in this small rural environment. So I had, you know, wonderful music teachers, a great piano teacher, wonderful choral director. Let's get specific about that. Who are the ones that stick out for you that had a that had a major influence in your life? Oh, well, well, uh, Mr. Satterthwaite uh, in high school was uh, my history teacher, and he just cultivated a, a love of history. And um, while I'm not a musicologist, you know, I love digging into information about the past. Uh, so, you know, learning more about the 18th century and the 17th century and feeling like I have a, a grasp of this. And I think he kind of helped develop that. Mm-hmm. Uh, my choral director, uh, Mr. Armbruster, you know, we didn't know their first names. No, no. <laughs> would, would have dreamed of using them then. Uh, he, he just gave uh, some quality music. And in high school, singing uh, Chesnikov's Salvation is Created, in English, of course, and hearing that rich eight-part harmony and that Russian liturgical music just was so inspiring. Um, and our orchestra director, Mrs. Chambers, you know, we would play, you know, fine music. You know, we had Christmas concerts where all the musicians were involved in this huge gymnasium of putting on uh, Christmas concerts. All of these things were so effective. But in college, uh, John Maharg was the choral director. He had the most beautiful hands for conducting. Uh, you know, I can't even come close to the expressiveness of how he could move his hands. Uh, he, he was from uh, Ohio and went to Capitol uh, University there and uh, must have had a great background himself. And and he just shared all of this wonderful music with us. My piano teacher was Alan Olibaugh, and uh, I think he recognized I would never be a great pianist. <laughs> But his teaching could help me become a, a much better musician and taught me much about phrasing, of seeing a, a longer line to the music rather than just one measure at a time. And um, I could also talk about politics, <laughs> which was fun in those days. Uh, when we had our first son, uh, I named him after John and Ellen, uh, these two important teachers in my life. That's true. Another beautiful thing about Eastern Illinois University in those days is that it was small enough that they all music students had to participate in everything. 
you know, so although I wasn't really geared up for playing, you know, in the orchestra, you know, I wanted to focus on choral music. I had to sing in a couple of the choirs and I had to play in the orchestra. Uh, we had to take a strings class. So by the second year, they said, okay, you're going to play cello <laughs> instead of double bass. We can get another bass player. We need a cellist. Uh, so I eventually worked my way up to the second position because whenever I made a mistake sitting in these back rows, I would look behind me. And the conductor, uh, uh, Dr. Earl Boyd, would think, oh, God, he must know what he's doing. <laughs> he can really hear these mistakes. <laughs> so he moved me forward. I, I never became terribly good at the cello, but I enjoyed playing. And, and playing something like Barber's uh, Adagio for Strings what, for a young person, well. And uh, Howard Hansen's uh, Symphony Number no. 2, The Romantic. Romantic. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. Well, that, yeah, so, so I really moment. remember those things. I remember doing the Fare Requiem with the choir, and we only rehearsed parts of it, different movements at different times. As a singer or as an as instrument? A singer, as oh, a yeah. singer. And because of timing, I don't know what was going on. I never heard it cover to cover until we performed it. <laughs> so I learned to not do that. No, no. <laughs> but it was a great experience. Just a sampling of the Agnus Dei from the Requiem by Gabriel Faure from a concert in 2016 at the Cathedral Basilica of St. Louis. The Bach Society Chorus and Orchestra conducted by music director Dennis Sparger. We're in the middle of an extended conversation with Maestro Sparger. Next time we'll pick up where we left off. We'll learn much more about the choral groups that he founded and established, about his becoming the sixth music director in the Bach Society's storied history, and about his memorable meetings with Bach Society founder, Dr. William Heine. Dr. Heine was very revered. People just loved him. On a few occasions, I went to visit him in his home to meet him, to get to seek his counsel sure. on where I should be going with this organization. If he were here today, what would he say to you? We'll hear the answer next time on Bach Talk. Musical portions provided by Giulio Fazio, by pianist Sandra Geary, and by the Bach Society Chorus and Orchestra, captured in concert by Grammy Award-winning recording engineer Paul Henrich. I'm Ron Clem. Bach Talk is a trademark of the Bach Society of St. Louis. Subscribe to Bach Talk wherever you get your podcasts. Learn more at bachsociety.org.